You can be seated. Appreciate your prayers for our family as we traveled out to Iowa for the funeral of Jennifer's grandmother. We uh, were able to make it back last night and happy to be back, happy to be here. Well, would you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. What are the rules of engagement for fighting against Satan and his demons? Are we to seek out demons, try to find them where they are in this world, you know, kind of form a demonic ghostbuster type organization to try to find these demons and do away with them? What would we do if we came across a person who was demon-possessed? Does Christ call us to, to cast out demons like His disciples were called to do? I think if we study through the New Testament, then we would have to come to the conclusion that our responsibility when it comes to the rules of engagement for Satan and his demons is largely defensive. It's not to go on the attack, find them, and, and get rid of them. Purge the world of all the demons or purge the world of Satan. That's not our job. Instead, our job is one of defense. Peter tells us, and just to give you a brief survey of some of these texts about Satan and his demons, Peter tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. James says in chapter 4 that we ought to resist the devil and he will flee from us. We don't attack the devil, we resist him. Paul says in Ephesians 4 not to give the devil an opportunity. It's a defensive posture. And in our passage this morning, verses 10 through 17, we're going to see that our job is simply to stand firm. It's not to charge, to go on the attack against Satan and his demons, but to stand firm. I hope you see that the Christian life is very much like being in battle. And as I've mentioned before, none of us are Christian veterans. Where we've served before, you know, we. We've done the battle before and now it's time for some younger Christians to come and start fighting some battles against Satan and against the powers of this world and so on. But rather, there are no Christian veterans. We are not veterans really until we reach glory. We are always in a battle. As long as we are alive on this earth, we will be in a battle against Satan and his demons. And so we are not given the responsibility to attack but and certainly we're not given the the opportunity to relax but rather we are to stand up and fight primarily we are to stand firm we are to to hold our ground as we're going to see today christian you will always you will always when you're on this earth be engaged in spiritual warfare if you're a christian walking by the spirit and I can guarantee you that Satan wants you to fail. And he and his demons and this world and even your own flesh are all opposing you. And Christ, or I should say the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul here tells us that our job in this very real battle is to stand firm. It is to resist. So let's read our text 
4 this morning, then we'll see that, that we need to actively stand firm against the attacks of the devil. Ephesians 6, verse 10. This is the Word of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. And having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Christians, our responsibility is to put on the full armor of God so that we can stand firm against the schemes of the devil. In chapters 4-6 through of Ephesians, Paul has been saying that our responsibility is to do what we just sang about, that first song, to walk worthy of the Lord. Walk worthy of your calling. And what he means by that is to conduct yourself in such a way that it is consistent with what God called you to do. To live a life of sanctification, growth, godliness, maturity. And included in our responsibility in this last section of Ephesians of walking worthy of the Lord, Paul gives us a responsibility here to be strong in the Lord. Look at verse 10. This is the main command of our passage. Finally, be strong in the Lord. And all these exhortations that he's been giving in, in chapters 4-6 through six to put off these old ways of life and put on these new ways of life and, and be involved in a body of believers, commit yourself to that body, submit to its leadership and so on. In all the, these things, he says, finally... After saying all those things, finally, be strong in the Lord. He wants believers to see that the challenges that we face at home or at work are really spiritual battles. They're battles within a spiritual arena. Now, if we understand that truth, that's going to change the way that we live. It's going to change the way we think about our conflict. Because we often... We often have conflicts with actual people, right? We're not just talking to the air or something. We're we're actually having our conflicts with people. And what Paul wants us to understand is that many of those conflicts, if not all, are spiritual conflicts. You wrestle not with flesh and blood. You're not having conflicts with actual people, but you're actually having conflicts with with the rulers and the darkness and the, the powers of darkness of this world. Now, to be clear, I wouldn't recommend that the next time you have a disagreement with your spouse or someone at work that you say, you know, I always knew I had to do battle with the devil. You know, that's not going to be helpful in your relationship. But we do need to realize that we are fighting a spiritual battle. And what Paul tells us to do is to be strong. Be strong in the Lord. This is a 
passive verb that's used here in verse 10, be strong or be strengthened. Okay, we could say be strengthened by the Lord, or we could say it another way, strengthen yourself in the Lord. So, so the idea is that God is going to strengthen us as we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. How do we do this? How do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? What does it look like? Well, the second part of the verse tells us, and we're going to see how that fleshes out in the rest of the passage. Look at verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and, and I would say this is a parallel idea, in the strength of His might. So I would suggest that it goes like this. The way that we're strong in the Lord is by being strengthened with His power, with His might. So be strong in the Lord. It doesn't say be strong in yourself and in the strength of your own might, does it? That's often how we live, even as Christians. We try to to be strong in our own might. But what Paul is telling us, what the Holy Spirit is telling us, is that our strength won't cut it because we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, are we? We may have power over other beings on this earth, like animals and people. We may be able to use our own physical strength to overpower them, but we're not fighting against them, are we? Our battle is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. And so we need God's might don't we? We need to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. In Joshua chapter 1, we read the end of Joshua just a little while ago, but in Joshua 1, they're getting ready to cross over the Jordan River and Joshua calls out to all the people of Israel and says, be strong in the Lord, you remember? And be of good courage. What did that look like for Joshua and Israel? What did it look like to be strong in the Lord? This is an army of men and this great commander Joshua. What did it look like for them to be strong in the Lord? Was it overpowering all their enemies with brute force? Was it this big shock and awe campaign? No, the first thing that they did after they crossed into enemy territory was to circumcise all the men and put themselves in a very vulnerable position. While they're healing, they're, they're just in a position. They're across the Jordan River and now in enemy territory and in physical pain. And then do you remember when it was time to, to fight their first battle? To attack Jericho? There's no huge military campaign here with lots of weapons and military prowess, was there? Instead, they walked around the city walls for seven days. Not exactly shock and awe, Right? More like shocking and awful when it comes to our perspective, our own strength. And so for the people of Israel to be strong and courageous, it meant to trust in the Lord. That is why boot camp for Israel consisted of meditating on the Word of God. You know, you would think they would take time to go through a bunch of routines and practices to see what it would be like on the battlefield. Instead, what Joshua did during boot camp, the time before going into the promised land, was he taught them to meditate on the Word of God day and night. And so, what we learn from that is that to be strong in the Lord is to trust the Lord. We trust what God has said. We consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And so our text says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. So 
How are we strong in the Lord? How can we be strong in His might rather than our own? Since we're fighting not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and principalities and powers of this world. Well, the way that we do that is verse 11. This is how we're strong in the Lord. This is how we put on the strength of His might. We put on the full armor of God. This phrase here, full armor, comes from one Greek word that can be translated as panoply. Panoply. Like in the second verse of soldiers of Christ arise, right? Stand then in His great might with all His strength endued and take to arm you for the fight. Do you remember the words? The panoply. That's what we mean. That's what the, the author of that text means when he says that. He's talking about the full armor of God. If we're going to stand in His great might, then we take on the panoply of God, the full armor of God. So, we see the responsibility on the part of us as Christians is to be strong in the strength that God supplies. Specifically through His armor. We'll, we'll look at that later. But next we need to see in verses 11 and 12 the need for this strength. Why do we need this strength? And I've already alluded to this a couple of times, but it is because of the attack of the devil and his forces. The reason that we need strength we need God's strength is because we have an attack from the devil and his forces. Remember, the devil is on a prowl, right? He's seeking whom he may devour. Notice verse 11, the second part of the verse says, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. It's more than just the devil who's attacking. He's got all of his forces trying to oppose us as Christians. And so that's why we need to have the strength of God on our side. That's why we need to fight with God's strength. That's why we need to trust Him because the devil is scheming against us. And for us as Christians, I mentioned that all of life is a spiritual battle, right? And so we don't just, well, I think there might be a battle coming on today, so I'll put the full armor of God on today. Rather, it needs to be a constant thing because we're always in a battle. It's not like we, we have a reprieve or a retreat. We're, we're on the battlefield, and so we need to keep making sure that our equipment is, is adequate. And I hope you understand that Satan fully plans to win. And we'll talk about the fact that he's not going to, but, but he fully plans to. And He expects you to be His casualty. The reality of evil is seen in verse 12. That these schemes of the devil are seen in the fact that we do not struggle, verse 12, against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Folks, evil... The evil in this world, I'm sure you know this. You've seen this. You've experienced it. Experienced it. it is very real. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We're not in a wrestling match with flesh and blood. We're, in fact, we're not in a wrestling match with the devil, so to speak. We're actually standing, we'll see, we're actually standing in resistance to him. He's coming for, forward with all of his power against us, and our job is to stand there. Sometimes when we 
you know, I was talking about some of the relationships that we have. They feel so real. Like the, the battle is right here in flesh and blood. It's so tangible. And yet what the Scriptures are telling us is there's something underlying there. There's something greater that is at work in those conflicts. Sometimes it's from within us, our own flesh, and sometimes it's within them. Sometimes it's both, and that's what makes these conflicts so difficult. Our battle is really an out-of-this-world type of battle. It's otherworldly. It's not against flesh and blood. It's actually against, verse 12, rulers and powers and the world forces of this darkness and the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Think about the story of Job. While God allowed Job's family to die and allowed him to lose his possessions, who was the agent of that suffering? Who was the agent of the loss of Job's health? Was it not attributed in the book of Job to Satan himself? So we could say the ultimate agent was God. God allowed it. But the immediate agent, the one who carried it out, was Satan. He was prowling around the earth seeking whom he could devour. And when he came to God, God said, Have you considered my servant Job? Have you considered him? Because he's a righteous man. And he serves me because he loves me. Not because of what I give him. Satan says, well, then let me take everything away. And who is the one who carried all that out? It was Satan. Obviously under the permission of God, but ultimately it was Satan who carried that out. Our struggle is against the world forces of wickedness. Sometimes we wrongly think that you know, the job of demons is to oppose angels. We, we probably all in here believe the demons exist, but you know they don't really bother us. Their job is to oppose angels, and they do that. We know of a battle that's going on in Revelation chapter 12. But, but I hope you understand that their primary job is to oppose you. Their primary job is to oppose Christians. They're seeking to destroy humans. The power... the, the the struggle here that we have is not against flesh and blood. At the end of the verse it says, it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Think about how Satan is described in the inspired Word of God. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. 1 John 5.19 He is called in Ephesians 2.2 the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 2 Corinthians 4.4 He is called the God of this world. And so in some sense, He has control over the world. In some sense. Not ultimate sense, but in some sense, He has control over the world. He's called its ruler. We live in this world that Satan has power over. And so our battle is not against people that we see. It's it's actually against... It's a spiritual battle. And so because of the nature of this battle, we need to do something. Paul calls us to do. We need to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. And specifically, Paul has a goal in mind. He has a goal in mind for us. If we're going to be strong in the Lord, and as we'll talk, put on the armor of God, then our goal is this. Look at verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. We'll talk about that. So that you will be able to resist 
in the evil day and having everything having done everything to stand firm and then verse 14 stand firm okay so in verse 11 we could also go up there and says at the second part of the verse so that you will be able to stand firm so four times we have stand firm resist stand firm stand firm here's the goal that God desires for you and me as Christians. The goal of of why we want to be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might and why we want to put on the full armor of God is so that we can stand firm. Because we are fighting against spiritual evil. And our job is to resist. We're not fighting against defeatable enemies that we can see, you know, like animals or, or some lesser... Uh, some humans who are weaker than us or something. We're, we're fighting against spiritual forces and we can't overpower them on our own, can we? They are more powerful than us. And so the point of this text is, verse 10, be strong in the Lord so that you can stand firm. Take on this full armor so that you can stand firm. Now this phrase here, stand firm, this verbal phrase in verse 13 comes from one Greek word that means to hold your ground. Hold your ground. It's used in Acts chapter 8, verse 38 when the Ethiopian eunuch uh, demanded or ordered the chariot to stop. The idea is that the chariot is supposed to hold its ground. Stop where it is. Don't go backwards. Don't go, don't go anywhere. Just stop. Hold your ground. So again, I say to you that this responsibility of ours is not offense offensive. Okay? It's not to go on the offense against Satan and his enemies. Instead, we are to stand firm, resist. That's our job. It's, there's nothing in here about going on a march or, or going on an assault against the demons, but holding our ground so that the enemies do not breach our territory. And when you, Christian, come to the end of your life and you have held your ground, then that's the goal. That, that is what God wanted of you. That's why at the end of verse 13, having done everything, when you come to the end, you have stood firm. So that when Jesus sees you, He says, well done, you have stood firm for My sake. You, you, for My sake, you have, you have been strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Notice the time of our resistance. The time of our resistance in the, is in the middle of verse 13. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day. This is not talking about the future judgment of evil. This is talking about the present evil day in which we live. Our job is to stand firm while we're in battle. When we, were, when we are there in glory, enjoying the presence of God, we will be able to, to, to take pleasure in all the spoils of the war. But at this time, we're in the war. And our job is to stand firm in this evil day. Now, we might think that standing firm is a largely passive idea. That we just kind of stand here and, and don't do anything. And so we... We, we, we don't have to go on the offensive in any way. We don't attack. And I think that's true when we think about it in those terms. That there, there is not a requirement for us, a responsibility for us to go on the attack. But I want you to see here in verses 14 through 17 
that this responsibility to stand firm is actually very active. It's not passive. Yes, it is defensive in nature, but if you know anything about battle or anything about sports teams, you know that defense is often much harder than offense. You have to resist. You have to stand firm. And so in verses 14 through 17, we see the means of the strength. So our job is to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might so that we can stand firm. Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against spiritual forces. So how do we do this? The means of our strength is the armor of God. The armor of God, verses 14 through 17. As we go through these weapons, you'll notice that they are primarily defensive in nature. In fact, Dr. McCune points out in his systematic theology that, that even the, the sword of the Spirit is actually referring to a dagger. Not a full four or five foot sword. It's, it's rather referring to like an 18 foot, or 18 foot, that would be huge, uh, 18 inch dagger. And that was designed for close personal combat. It was designed to be defensive in nature. So when someone breached your territory and started to fight you hand to hand, you would have something to protect you. And if you'll notice in the in the text, you'll see in verse 14 and 15, some of the words are in all capital letters. And as I've mentioned before, that just means that that's a quotation or an allusion to an Old Testament text. So specifically, this comes from Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17. We won't go there, but it's referring to the Messiah and the armor that He would wear and so when we put on this armor, in a sense, we identify ourselves with Christ. That, that we wear the same armor that Christ wears. And, and we know that Christ has victory over sin and evil, and we will as well, as we'll talk about in a few minutes. But instead of going through each piece and each part that it, of the body that it protects and say, you know, try to find some specific way in which this armor protects this spiritual body of ours or something, Instead, I want you to see these things in three ways. Number one, area of protection. Each of these pieces of armor that we're going to look at have an area of protection, right? Like the first one, it protects the loins. And the second one, the chest. And the third, the feet. And the, and the fourth, the body. And then the head. And then the whole body again. So each has an area of protection, each piece of armor. And then each piece of armor is described. So first we have the uh, girding your loins with truth, the belt of truth as it's called, then second, the breastplate, and then some guard for our feet, and then a shield, and then a helmet, and then a sword. So you have the area of protection, the weapon, and then finally the spiritual comparison. You know, each one has the, the girding your loins with truth, so the belt of truth, or the breastplate of righteousness shodding your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace and the, the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, and so on. So you have an area of protection, a weapon, and a spiritual comparison. So now that we kind of see how Paul just lays those out, instead of, instead of trying to get into the, to the intricate idea of what part of the spiritual person are we trying to protect, that's not really the idea. Instead, we want to take all of these spiritual comparisons, the truth, the righteousness, and we want to see how we put those on in our Christian life. So first, the belt of truth at the end of verse 14. This belt was basically a leather apron that was worn under the armor to protect the thighs of the soldier. And as we 
we strap on this piece of armor, it's stra- Paul likens it to strapping on truth. That this is one of the ways that we protect ourselves against Satan's schemes. So that we have some way to protect us. We do that with truth. Uh, adopting and understanding, embracing truth from the Scriptures. And second, we have the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate covered the chest and vital organs against the arrows and the short-range strikes from a sword or a dagger. And the idea here is to be like God in righteousness. We have put on the new man. We put off the old man and we put on the new man. So we want to be like God in that way. We want to we want to be righteous as God is righteous. And then third, we have the the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace in verse 15. Again, this is not a, an offensive weapon, but rather a defensive piece of armor. It's a piece of equipment to protect us. And here, it's described as as having the being prepared for spreading, I think, the gospel of peace because the same idea is used in Isaiah 52.7 where it says, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. When we come to a dry and weary land and we say we have water, that's good news to those people. And for us as Christians, we bring good news to people when in a dreary land that makes very little sense. It makes no sense apart from God's control of it. Uh, we, we give them the Gospel. And this piece of armor is important because we always have to be ready to give the Gospel. That's what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Always be ready to share the hope that is in you. And so, while we are protecting ourselves, at the same time, we are engaging in a spiritual warfare and we're engaging with this Gospel of peace. We're, we're helping to explain to the enemy sometimes who come in physical form that the Gospel is good and real and it is powerful to save. Then verse 16, we have the shield of faith. This shield was a full-length shield to cover your entire body and it was made of wood. And they would often drape it in leather so that when the fiery darts of the, the enemy would come and, and, and pierce into that wooden shield, it wouldn't burn it up. The leather would, would put out the, the fire. And that's why... That, that's why in verse 16, you'll be able to use this to be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so for us, one of the most important pieces of armor that we have is this shield of faith. That we put on faith and believe that God is. And that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. That's what faith is, right? Hebrews 11. And then finally, the helmet of salvation or the helmet which is salvation. The idea is... Actually, we have one more after this. The sword of the Spirit. But the helmet of salvation, we, 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 more, uh, we more firmly embrace the promise of salvation that we have in Christ. It's not that we keep putting on salvation. We keep getting saved. But we, we each day more and more embrace our salvation. The, the fact that Christ saved us and that He's been raised and that He's promised victory for us. And we simply need to continue on in this fight. And, and so it requires that we continue to embrace our salvation. And then, finally, for the second time, the sword of the Spirit in verse 17. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The final piece of equipment pictures for us our reliance upon 
the Spirit. And the way that we rely on the Spirit is through the Word of God. The Spirit is most clearly connected in our age through the Word of God. And so we rely on Him with this sword, this last line of defense that we have to protect us against the close combat of the enemy. And so in our warfare with these spiritual enemies, we have to take hold of the Word of God. Now, in all these weapons, again, it seems as if we're doing all the work. Where's God in all this? Where's His help? But look again at verse 10 because I want you to understand the connection here between us putting on the armor and us being strong in the Lord. Verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. How, Paul? How do we do that? Well, we put on the full armor of God. So, God is the one who equips us with what we need to fight against evil. He equips us with the spiritual armor. And so, every time you proactively engage in putting on that armor, it's actually God doing it. God is working through you to put on that armor. Now, we'll get to prayer next week and its its, um, role in our Christian life when we get to verse 18. But, But some people argue that prayer is actually a piece of armor. It's difficult to know whether it should be placed within this group of of descriptions of armor, but um, I, I would suggest that it does not because Paul doesn't give it a piece of armor to liken it to. So it's used in a different way. We'll see how it's used and, and we'll see that it's critically important to our resistance of evil, but Paul doesn't include it in his armor and so, and so that's why we haven't done that this morning either. So let me give you uh, a few points of application in closing. Number one, Watch out for the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil in verse 11 make this battle extremely difficult. Because if you think about it, it, our battle is less like the civil war where you could see your enemy in his line and he was coming toward you. You could see him and you knew he was your enemy. Our enemy is more like the war on terror where we don't know who our enemy is sometimes. Sometimes he lives right next to us. And He befriends us for years. And then one day, He he attacks. Satan presents himself to us like a harmless baby tiger who will come and, and lick our hand and cuddle with us. But when the tiger gets older, it will bite our hand. And that's Satan. He wants to be your friend. He comes in sheep's clothing, right? and tries to deceive us. And that's often how we turn astray because we have been deceived. He looks like an angel of light. right? He's called that. He disguises himself as an angel of light. And so, our job is not to be ignorant to Satan's devices. That He wants to, like Peter, sift us like wheat. So don't allow the devil to get an opportunity. And so when... Theologian A.H. Strong puts it this way, and I, I, I love this illustration. He said, suppose that you had an apartment in Times Square or near Times Square, and you didn't want any intruders to come into your apartment, but you always left the door open and you always left your windows open. And so as they would have parades or any type of gatherings down there, 
by your apartment, they would just come in. They would overtake you. That would be completely foolish to leave your doors and windows open. Instead, you lived in such a busy place with so many strangers, you would lock your doors and your windows and you would have a doorman to protect and to verify whether a person should be entering. In the same way, Strong says, we need to guard ourselves so that we do not allow Satan to come into our lives and take residence. He'll begin to influence our thoughts and our actions. And all of a sudden, our whole apartment, our whole home is overtaken by Satan because we've allowed him in the front door. Sometimes he comes in through various sins. Like in Ephesians 4.27, you can look back there quickly. Ephesians 4.27, do not give the devil an opportunity. And right before that, what was it talking about? Being angry. One of the ways that Satan can come in, one of the ways that we open the front door for him is through our sinful anger. And Paul describes that as giving the devil an opportunity. And we can list a number of sins as well that, that give the devil, an opportunity to come in the front door and take over the house of our life. So our job is to recognize his schemes. He's not going to announce his attack. He's going to be more like the terrorists who disguise themselves. Christians, the way that we do this, the way that we keep him out of the home of our life, is by being so full of the Holy Spirit that there is no room for Satan. We ought to recognize there's Christians, I believe, cannot be demon-possessed because greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. But, but we often give Him an opportunity to come in and take over. And we need to guard ourselves against the influences. And that's the way I would describe how the devil works in our lives. He influences us for evil. We need to guard ourselves against that. Number two, second point of application, we are engaged in a battle and our job is to resist. We are engaged in a battle and our job is to resist. Resistance happens when we depend on God and when we shed self-reliance. It's not be strengthened in the strength of your own might, but be strengthened in the strength that God supplies. So that when you come to the end of your life and you have not turned your back on God, that you are still trusting and that you are still loving and still praising Him, then that is victory. You have resisted. You're like a soldier in the battle. Your job is not to single-handedly go out and defeat all of Satan's army. Your job, based on what your commanders told you, is to stand your ground, to stand firm, to resist. Please don't think of that in a passive way. Standing firm requires great action. It's like we are standing, we are planting our feet on a rock in the middle of a raging sea with waves crashing all around us. And while our job on that rock is just to stand there, to stand firm, that requires great action because actually if we are passive in that way, we will be taken away with the sea. That is what it's like to be a Christian. It's to be standing firm. 
And it's even more like instead of just thinking of ourselves, one singular on a rock, we should think of ourselves on a, on a line full of allies who are like when we were kids, we would play Red Rover. But this is a spiritual battle, so much more serious than that. But we would hold our ground. We're not going to let anyone get by. And we have all of these other Christians who are standing with us. And that's God's goal for you, to stand firm and trust that God will give the final victory. Will He? Will God have the final victory? Will Christ ultimately win? Yes, He will, because Satan is a limited limited foe. And that's the third point of application. Recognize that Satan has limitations. Do you realize that Satan cannot force you to sin? Satan cannot force you to turn your back on God. Satan didn't make you do anything. You chose to. Anyone who turns from God chose to turn from God. But he can tempt you. He can persuade you very strongly. And so, while he is powerful, his power is limited. It has an extent. It has an extent of how much he can attack you. Remember 1 Corinthians 10.13? God only gives you as much as you can bear. Not more than that. That means Satan has a leash, like with Job. You can touch his health, but you cannot kill him. Or before that, you can touch his family and his possessions, but you can't touch his health. So God has him on a leash. Satan is limited in his ability to attack and in his time. It's only a matter of time before Satan is defeated. We need to keep that at the front of our mind that God will have the victory. In Revelation 12, 12, it says, For this reason rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the earth and the sea because the devil has come down to you, come down to the earth, having great wrath, knowing at that time in Revelation, he will know that he only has a short time. And so he's going to take out all of his fury on God's people. Hebrews 2.14, Since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death Christ might render powerless Him who had the power of death, that is the devil. Satan has the power of death, but Christ rendered Him powerless. He's limited. He's limited in His ability because he is finite. He may be called the God of this world, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, but we serve the God of the universe. Satan may operate as a king for a short time, but we serve the king of all kings. Satan may have power over death, like Hebrews 2.14 says, but Christ has rendered him powerless. Satan may have a lot of knowledge, but our Master knows everything. And Satan may be able to get places in a hurry, but our Father is everywhere present. He's always there. Satan may have great power. and certainly has greater power than us. But he's not invincible. Our God is. He is all-powerful. And one day, Satan will be bound. And it will be clear to all that Satan is not the king. Satan is not the God of this world. But our Savior, our God, will never be bound. He, he reigns forever. 
Satan's primary target of attack is not Christ anymore. Christ has already ascended to glory. It's not the angels. Satan's primary target of attack is you and me. I personally think that he's not trying to make evil people more evil. I think he's trying to get believers to turn away. In my understanding of the Scriptures, Satan uses unbelievers as pawns. And we are more like the rooks and the knights and the bishops who protect the queen, protect the king. In order for Satan to win, sometimes he uses those pawns, the unbelievers, get them out of the way so that he can start attacking us. And I think the most clear way we can see that is in the end times. When things turn against Satan and his forces, who does he turn against? He actually turns against unbelievers and starts attacking them, killing them. He turns against his own people. You see, they were just his pawns. His job, his goal is to attack us. And he only uses unbelievers as weapons in his hand to get to us, to entice us to turn away from Christ. And one of the primary methods of his attack is getting us to doubt the goodness of God. We think, God, you can't be in this. You can't be a good God when X happens. And we start to doubt that. Satan's starting to have a victory, isn't he? He's starting to come into the door that we've allowed to be open because we haven't taken up the shield of faith. We haven't adopted and embraced the Word of God. And so we have a responsibility. Yes, God will win the victory, but He does it through us. Stand up. Stand up for Jesus. The trumpet call obey. Forth to the mighty conflict in this His glorious day. Ye who are men now serve Him against unnumbered foes. Let courage rise with danger and strength to strength oppose. Stand up for Jesus. Stand in His strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. Put on the Gospel armor. Each piece put on with prayer. Where duty calls or danger, be never wanting there. Let's pray. Father, it is sobering to think that we live in a world that is cursed that is marked and marked by sin and filled with sinners. Even when we come to Christ, sin has not gone away from us. We have not reached a point of perfection. So sin still lives within us. While it is our, not our master, we still obey its lusts at times. And when we do, we give the opportunity for Satan to come in and to terrorize us and to and to defame the name of Christ. Lord, we want to show other people Your glory. We want them to see Your glory through our acts of righteousness. So help us, Lord, to, to be strong with the strength that You supply. And put on the whole panoply that You have provided for us so that we will be able to stand firm, so that we will be able to resist the charge of attack that's coming from Satan and his host of demons. 
Lord, we pray that You would help us to see our battles for what they are and to to recognize the strength that we have through Your Word. As Your Spirit gives us power through Your Word to protect ourselves with the truth and the righteousness that we can learn from Your Word. And may we, at the end of our life, having done all, to stand firm. Give us the grace to do that. Help us to stand together as a church against the evil of this day. Help us to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, and to pray for one another, and to help those who have fallen, get them back up on the on the fight, firing line, on the fighting line, and be able to stand firm. Give us the grace, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.